I want to start uh, with some favorite quotes of mine. Uh, first one. Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Groucho Marx said that. So if you don't think that's funny, I can't do anything for you. That's the epitome of comedy right there. Um, another quote, uh, I think a guy named Peterson said this, a little more serious. A censor is someone who knows more than they think you ought to know. I think that's a pertinent quote for today. But another quote is from Mark Twain. And he said, When I was 14 years old, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have him around. By the time I was 21 years old, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. And so for you young folks in the room this morning, that what Mark Twain was expressing was a reality that many children go through. The respect, the admiration, the love that a child has for his parent usually kind of operates on a bell curve where it starts really high when you're young and then it dips down really low when you're a teenager. Not always, it's a sin if that happens, but oftentimes the appreciation for your parents' wisdom and love is at a low when you are struggling most with the flesh in your teenage years. But then it goes back up again by the time you get older and you realize how much your parents really did know all along and how their wisdom really was proven out in your life. We're on rule number three this morning. And you can turn to the book of Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 20 is the rule we're looking at. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, and I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Uh, this is the only time I'm going to ask you kids to do anything. If you are in high school living with, or younger, living in your parents' home, could you raise your hand right now just to help me? I want to try to make sure I'm making eye contact with the right people throughout the sermon. Okay. And all right. Now, you may be outside of high school and still living with your parents. I don't know. But at that age, you're, you need to exercise the judgment of whether or not and how much of this sermon applies directly to you. It may 100% all apply to you. It depends on how much you have matured under your parents' uh, discipleship. But I'm going to be addressing primarily those of you that are under your parents' umbrella still. And just because your parent may not be able to help you with your trigonometry does not mean that you are smarter than them. They learned that when they were in high school, and you'll forget it by the time you're their age too. Just because your parent may not know how to download an app or even know what an app is because they may not know who the most recent pop star is does not mean that they're dumber than you. They have a wisdom of experience that runs deeper than trends. And their instructor has been both the failures and the successes of life. And the punishment for their failures was not an F that was meted out by a teacher. Their failures resulted in hard-learned life lessons. Harshness of life that usually is not as gracious as your parents are. And you'll learn these lessons too one day. But for now, your parents are in your life. 
both training you for what those life lessons will be while at the same time shielding you from the full brunt of those life lessons. And their goal for you is that you will suffer a little less than they did and succeed a little more than they did. And you'll do the same for your children with the same aims as your parents. But before we even get to the first point in this sermon, I just want to give you just a few pointers as we think about your responsibility to obey your parents. First of all, you need to know your role, kids. You need to know your role. You're at a place in life right now. One day, you'll be in a different location and in a different position, but right now, your position is, I'm going to learn from my parents. I'm going to grow under my parents. I'm going to trust my parents. They have information for me that I have not yet received. They have experiences that I have not yet gone through. So know your role. That's one thing. Number two, I would say this. Give your parents grace. Most of them are trying as best they can. And you'll find out how hard it is when you get to be a parent. But give them some grace. Understand that they're imperfect. And thirdly, I would uh, encourage you to pray for your parents. So know your role, give them grace, but pray for your parents. Pray for them. Uh, There's no such thing as a perfect parent. And um, they need your prayers. And if you pray for your parents, you'll begin to appreciate their parentage a little different than when you don't pray for them. Um, And as we ruminate on this rule of obedience um, together, as we meditate on this, I promise you there will be as much for your parents as there is for you. Um, And as usual with all of these rules, I just want to remind you that your responsibility is your obedience and no one else's. Your parents are going to get some things wrong. That doesn't excuse you before the Lord. Um, In Romans, uh, what is it? Romans chapter 14 and verse 4, it says, each man to his own master will stand or fall. It's talking about your relationship to God. And you'll stand or you'll fall before your own master. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5, it says that each one must carry his own load. And so that's to say your parents' response to this passage is not your responsibility. Your siblings' response to this passage is not your responsibility. Your response to this passage is your responsibility. So, to unpack this rule of obedience, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Let's start by defining the child-parent relationship. Let's kind of lay a foundation here just to describe what it is that you're in. I think children are usually not quite as reflective, self-reflective as they are when they get older. And you just need to understand the nature of the relationship you have with your parent. And to explain this, I would say um, there's kind of four coins that I would use. And, you know, a coin always has, what, how many sides? Two sides, right? And we think of them as opposite sides, but they're not. They're, uh, They're the one coin... Obverse sides, meaning you have one, the obverse side and the reverse side. They're not opposing each other, but rather they are corresponding to each other. And so that's how these coins are. Sometimes the two different sides seem like they are in conflict, but they're not. And in my experience, I have also found that when 
Parents, when your parenting becomes less of a joy and more of a vexation, it's probably because you're focusing too much on only one side of that coin. And you're failing to appreciate there's two sides to this. And the same goes for children as well. When your parents feel unbearable to you, just maybe you can write down some notes here today and go back to these and relook at the nature of your um, relationship with your parents. So first of all, defining the child-parent relationship. Uh, the first coin is there's dependency. Uh, you are dependent on your mom and your dad. And sometimes that relationship can get wearing or tiring for both parties. There's a lot of teenagers that are just so anxious to get out of the house. And trust me, if you're in that position, your parents are probably just as anxious as you are. And that's not a good thing at all. It should not be like that. But we recognize that it's a relationship of dependence. You need your parents no matter how much you think you might or might not need them. You do need them. When I was a kid, we had this book series called The Boxcar Children. Does anyone remember The Boxcar Children? And me and my brother, we'd ride our bikes to the park and there was a gazebo down there and we'd pretend that was the boxcar and we don't need our parents. We could, we could live right here in this park if we wanted to. Um, but independence almost always is desired prematurely. Oftentimes in Scripture, the desire for independence leads to sin. So while there is dependency, the other side to that coin is discipleship. Your relationship with your children, parents, is one of discipleship. That means it's an opportunity. It's missional. It's purposeful. You're not doing time, but you have a limited amount of time to prepare your child to be a productive, mature, co-equal with you, a peer-to-peer worshiper of God. That's the goal. That's what you're trying to accomplish. And, and you only have a little, limited amount of time to do it. And we call that discipleship. And that requires intentionality. Kids, your parents, it may seem like they're overbearing, but they are training you for life. They only get 18 years. Then you're gone. And you have the rest of your life and they can't do anything about it. They're trying their best. But it is a relationship of discipleship. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, I've mentioned that several times because it's kind of a sister book to the book of Colossians. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 parallels this verse. And in that we see the example of discipleship. It says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents are supposed to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To bring them up is the same word that is used in the previous chapter in Ephesians where it says that no one despises, no one hates their own body, but they nourish it. That means they feed, you feed your body so it stays alive. And in the same way, kids, your parents are pouring into you. Not just feeding you food, which can sometimes be hard to get a child to survive. They're dead set on killing themselves sometimes. But not only are they feeding you food, but they're feeding you instruction. They're nourishing you, nourishing you spiritually. Admonishing you. Um, instructing you. They are taking every opportunity to prepare you for life. This is what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7 where it says to teach them diligently, to impress upon them 
when you walk in the way, when you sit down in your house, when you go to bed, and when you rise up, parents, we're discipling our kids. And if you're unintentional with your discipleship, all that means is you're, you're, you're discipling them towards the flesh. It's not that they're not getting discipled. They're getting discipled, either by you or by someone else, and likely not discipled towards godliness. But that first coin is dependency and discipleship. And the second coin, really just kind of a sharpening of that first coin, is discipline and development. Discipline and development. Discipline does not mean punishment, kids. And parents sometimes need to know that as well. In fact, punishment is just a very small part of discipline. Discipline is the developmental process. You're training your children. Uh, Think about the young men that do push-ups at night. That's discipline. They are disciplining themselves. They're disciplining their body. They're not punishing. They're developing. Or I have some artists in my family, and I've seen Sophie sit at the table and draw and draw and draw and keep failing, and she wants to get it right, and she keeps throwing away the paper and trying again and trying again. What is she doing? She's disciplining herself to become a better artist. And your parents are disciplining you as well for your development. They don't do it because they don't like you. The opposite. They want the best for you. And even though you can't see how it's all going to turn out, they're a lot further down the road than you are. And they can direct you around those potholes. Discipline and development is the second coin. I would bring your attention to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. We'll put that on the board. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, right? Everyone can agree to that. When your parents are disciplining you and trying to get you to do something you don't want to do, I mean, I can think of all the examples. I, I know enough parents in this church. I can think of all the different examples even this week of a parent disciplining their child in positive ways, not punishing them, but the child feels like they're being punished. So the first half of this verse is very recognizable. In the moment, when you're experiencing the discipline, it seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. So we have the coin of dependence and discipleship. We have the coin of discipline and development. And then we have the coin of prohibitions and protections. So the parents are going to say no to a lot of things. And kids, you need to understand this. This is the same thing. When God says don't sin, what God is saying is don't hurt yourself. And when your parents are telling you no, don't do that, it's not because there's only a limited amount of fun that they think you should have and they want to prevent that fun uh, from too much fun from being had. No, they don't want you to hurt yourself. If it was something good for you, we would say yes all the time. But the problem is we know what's good for you and we know what's bad for you and you don't know that yet. You think you do, but you don't. That's why you need a parent there to prohibit certain things. But when they prohibit it, it's really about protection. Um, Think about it this way. Evidence of God's love. How do we know that God loves us? We know God loves us, it says in 1 John, because He sent His Son to die for us. So we know that God loves us. We also know that God hates sin. Why does God hate sin? 
because it's contrary to his nature. But also, I believe, one of the evidences, one of the best evidences that God loves humanity is that God hates sin. Because God loves you, He hates sin. He wants to protect you from it. He doesn't want your life to be destroyed by it. And parents are in that same category for their children. Parents, if you see sin in your children's life and you tolerate it, you excuse it, you ignore it, that is not being loving at all. You need to respond to it. And of course, we model our response to the sin in our children's life. We model that off of God's response to the sin in our life. And what does God do for us? Does He come down like a hammer? Does He destroy us? Does He humiliate us? Does He belittle us? No. What does He do? Like what Zach was sharing this morning. Christ's response to the sin in our life cost Him. It hurt Him. There was sacrifice. It was not easy. And the same is true for your parenting. When you see sin in your children's life, it's gonna, it should cost you just as much to lead them out of that sin and into righteousness. A fourth coin. Punishment and preparation. Sometimes punishment is required. Um, parents, if you have never punished your children, no kid is that good. You, you're doing something wrong if you have never punished your children. There's different kinds of punishment. You know, when I was a kid, we went to Silver Dollar City one year and we got this fun little thing to hang on the kitchen wall. It says, it's got carved in there, attitude adjuster. And, you know, this was supposed to be the thing you hang on the wall, kind of a laugh and a wink. We would never really hit our kids with this giant piece of wood. But there were times, and my brother can testify to this, that, you know what, we, we needed something because we were driving my mom up the wall. So there were times that this did come off the wall. They were rare, but sometimes this was used on us. And Times have changed. My parents did a great job in raising us. I'm not complaining at all. Um, but I've never used this on my kids, but it's there just in case. But I think, I think we know. I think we know a little better nowadays that hitting your children, there's better ways to punish your children than hitting your children, usually, I think. But if there's no punishment at all, then you're probably failing in some capacity as a parent. Um, think about it this way. Your role as a parent is you're kind of creating a real-world bubble around your child. And you've got to try to protect them from the real-world consequences of their sin, by, but, but also introducing just enough of it so that they're trained to know what's going to happen. For instance, if one sibling hits another, you, you enact the punishment. Because if you don't, their child is going to think, I can go out in life and hit somebody. And what happens when they hit somebody? They're going to get hit back. Oh, one time Jackson came home from school. I don't know if you remember this or not, Jackson, but he was trying to elicit some pity from me. He said, someone hit me at school. They punched me. I'm like, really? Did you deserve it? And he said, well, yeah, I did. Oh, okay, lesson learned. We got it. No parenting required. He said, well, I was just poking him though and then he hit me i said well that that is life when you get out in the real world no one's going to respond in kind they're always going to escalate and i just think that's a good picture of our parenting that we're trying to translate what's happening in their little life with what would happen in the big life once you get out there and in order to do that sometimes you have to punish but children know it's hard to know it in the moment but when your parents are punishing you they're preparing you for real life 
They're letting you know, listen, when you get out of my home and you do the same thing, the consequences will be infinitely worse. So I'm trying to train this out of you right now. So those are the four coins that kind of define the uh, relationship that parents and children have with one another. And you'll notice by by the definition there, when you transition out of that umbrella under your parents' care, it's, it's a growth factor. It's a maturity factor. You don't graduate out just because you turn 19 years old. There are some, some, some kids in their 20s that still need their parents' instructions because maybe the parent hasn't done a good job or the child hasn't done a good job, but you grow out of that gradually. You mature your way out of it. But now let's turn our attention to what obedience actually is. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So let's, let's describe what obedience is. Let's describe what obedience is. And first of all, let's think about the execution of obedience. You're going to execute this. And what a great word, execute, because you are going to have to die to self, as Zach mentioned here. You're going to have to die to self if you're going to obey your parents. And this would be a good time to bring up the distinction between submission and obedience. Both are rules in the house, but they're not the same thing. Uh, Remember, uh, submission means you, as an equal, are choosing to place yourself under another's leadership. But obedience is you are compelled by someone else. In this case, you are compelled by God to be under your parents' authority. There's a difference between the two. Submission is choosing to place yourself. Obedience is being placed under another's command. In submission, there's room for collaboration. There's room for disagreement. There's room for persuasion, discourse. With obedience, there's none of that. Obedience... Listen, well, let, me, let me tell you how to execute obedience, kids, all right? It's a complex process that takes two steps. You hear it, and you do it. That's it. You hear it, and you do as you're told, and you do it when you're told. This is one of the things my dad told me again and again, I remember this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So when your parents tell you to do something, don't wait till your turn is over. Don't wait till you think it's appropriate. You do what they tell you to do when they tell you to do it. That's what obedience is. Um, and so that's, that's the execution of obedience. And what's the extent of obedience? Well, here's the bad news, I'm afraid, kids. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. Do you see it there? See the word everything? I've studied this out deeply. It means everything. That means not most things, not the reasonable things, not only the things you agree with, not in everything except for that one thing. It means everything. If your parents tell you to do it, you do it. Barring, of course, uh, abuse, um, immorality or deviancy. There are some sinful parents out there. And if you are in a position where you're being abused or you think you are doing some, you're being asked to do something that is immoral. You need to reach out to a trusted teacher or church leader or family member. But that's the rare exception. Um, the quote that my dad always told me, 
Ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do or die. And uh, you remember quoting me that all the time, Dad? Of course, it wasn't until I was older that I found out that was actually a misquote. The actual quote is, ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do and die. And so it's a little more final there. But kids, you don't need an explanation. As your parents are discipling you, they will eventually offer greater and more in-depth explanations, but an explanation is not required for your obedience. You are to obey in all things. So that's the execution of obedience, the extent of obedience. And then one more thing, there's an attitude required in obedience. There's an attitude that's required. Again, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says to honor your father and mother. So you need to be honoring in your obedience. And there's a lot in there that I can't get to all of right now, but I do think that how you feel about what you are doing is just as important as what you are doing. I think the attitude that you project in the course of your obedience will either reinforce your obedience or negate it. And so how you say yes and how you take out the trash and how you make your bed and how you get a job and all those things that your parents are telling you to do, it needs to be done from the inside out. Just to look down a couple verses, we see this principle at play in the bond servants and the uh, masters where it says, In verse 22, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Your obedience needs to come from the heart out. That's important. And again, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, we see, I don't know if we have that for the board or not. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. This is a great verse on your attitude and how you serve. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Your parents fall in that category, kids. Parents, that's important for you to think about. Your children are on loan to you. You've been given a responsibility and you're going to have to give an account for your parenting. But listen, kids, it says you need to submit to them. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Children, when your parents tell you to do something and you do it so begrudgingly and you create such a, a, um, a problem that it would be easier for your parents to have done it themselves in the first place, you're failing. You're not obeying your parents. When you obey your parents properly, you've got to execute the obedience. The extent is and everything, and then the attitude is important. So, having laid the foundation of defining what the relationship is, and also now describing what obedience is, before we conclude the sermon, I want to kind of defend this demand for your obedience. It never does seem fair. Why should I have to obey? It seems like you got a rotten part of the deal, but there's a reason that God demands that you obey your parents. The first reason we see right there in the verse, in verse 20, it says, for this pleases the Lord. It's pleasing. Pleasing to God. And you seek to please the one you love. The problem is it takes most people a while um, to stop loving themselves more than they love anyone else. But if you love God, kids, if you love God, you're going to obey your parents. 
Because he says, this pleases me when you obey your parents. And if you say, I want to love God, but I have a hard time loving God, you can train your heart by doing the things that God tells you to do. It will adhere your heart to Him. And, and you begin to love the one that you please. And so it's pleasing to God. That's why you need to obey. The second word I'd write is receiving. Not just pleasing, but receiving. Remember, parenting is discipleship. And so when you obey your parents, you are receiving what it is they have to give you. You know, think about the discipleship in the Gospels. Jesus went and he found some men and he says, I want you to follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed him. Well, kids, you've been born into this discipleship relationship, and so that makes it a little more difficult. You don't have nets to leave, but you're saying yes to your parents' discipleship is when you obey. That's you saying yes to your parents' discipleship. And trust me, you have a lot to receive if only you would obey. Um, Not only is it pleasing to the Lord, not only are you receiving the benefits, but also it's rewarding. Beyond that, it's rewarding. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says that this is the first commandment with promise. This goes back to the Ten Commandments where God said, if you honor your father and your mother, your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And this is deeper than just the number of days. I think it's the quality of days. Now, you know, my parents live with me for a portion of the year, and during this COVID season, they've lived with us for a long part of the year. The other time of the year, they're in, in um, Thailand. And I would say that this verse, for, I mean, think about it. Could you live with your parents for, how, how many months have you been with us now, this last time? Almost a year. In the same home, same kitchen, same bathrooms. Could you do that with your parents? Uh, to me, I think the fact that we can do this is a tremendous testament that they raised us right, that they did something right with their parenting. And I could honestly stand before you today and tell you that there's not one of my kids that I've ever thought, man, I just, I can't stand that kid. I have never, that thought has never even creeped into my mind. I have never counted the days for one of my kids to leave the house. And I'm not saying that to brag on you, on me. I'm saying that when you do it right, the days are long, they're full of joy, and, and they're fulfilling. So, there's a reward that comes from obeying your parents, kids. But not only that, in Ephesians 6, 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a wrong way to do it. There's a right way to do it. When you obey your parents, it's simply the right thing to do. And here's a good life lesson. It's hard. It's amazing how many people don't learn this. It's amazing to me how many people come into my office asking for a hotel room or they want food or they want me to give them money or something. They haven't learned the lesson I'm about ready to tell you right now. When you do the right things, when you make the right choices, it leads to success, to stability, to freedom, and to fulfillment. And when you make the wrong choices, it leads to bondage, it leads to failure, and it leads to confusion. And you don't have a lot of choices in front of you right now. It seems like you do, but you're only going to get more and more the older you get. But right now, the right choices that you need to be making that's going to lead to stability, to success, to fulfillment, and to joy, you need to choose to obey your parents. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. We're going to close in a song that really all of us need to obey. These house rules 
don't apply to individuals. They apply to all of us. And so you need kids. You need to learn obedience now because obedience is a Christian virtue in the house of God that you will never outgrow. You'll never outgrow obedience. You might as well learn it right now while the consequences are low before you have to suffer greater consequences when you get older. And every mature adult here in this room has been taking notes to further their own obedience because they know that. Adulthood does not mean never having to obey again. It means you've matured in the execution of your obedience. So, rule number three. First three rules. First of all, in the house of God and in your homes, we're going to submit, we're going to love, and thirdly, we're going to obey. Let's stand and sing.